Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to another edition of the Buck and Sack Show. I'm Michael Sachs in San Francisco. Ryan Buckley, you're in Portland, Oregon. It's Tuesday night, October 8th, 8.45 on the West Coast. Ryan, how are you? I'm excellent, Michael. We uh, I just finished watching that uh, Rays-Astros game yes. four, which I, I had to be honest, I did not see going that way, but I'm pumped, man. I know we're going to get into it, but having a three out of four series go to a winner-take-all game five uh, feels like for me, it's like this, this This was the hook that I was waiting for. I'm all in. And uh, fun to have that going on. I'm feeling especially good about my, my 4-0 San Francisco 49ers. I, mm-hmm. I don't know that their wins have been over teams that would make them, them being the 49ers, look especially impressive. But you can only play the teams on your schedule. And they've won all of them so far. First time since 1990, they're 4-0. So, uh, you know, really? good sports. Yeah. 1990? 1990. Wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. That's a long time. It is. So uh, I'm I'm pumped about how that's going and uh, pumped for where we are with baseball. Football's obviously in, in full swing, both full. college and pro, and yeah. things are good. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, we've talked about it a bunch. This is the best time of the year, and I feel like right now, yep. right, right now, as we sit here <laughs> and talk to one another, it's just about as good as it gets. I mean, it <coughs> excuse me. I had a little cough there. It's just about as good as it gets. I mean, as you mentioned, three out of four DSs go into game five. I'm especially interested in the one that's going to go down in Atlanta tomorrow. We will get more into that. Uh, I think we've got the best college football slate of the season so far coming up here. In week seven, I mean week seven. Can you believe it already? I mean it goes by Flying. so fast; it's crazy, and that's why you have to soak it up every weekend and watch as much as humanly possible. Uh, and then the NFL is great too. Um, for those who may be new to the show, we have a, a little format here. We do our good of the week, bad of the week, interesting of the week. Then we go in the sports book and talk some spreads, and then we throw a wild card at each other at the end of the show that may or may not be sports related, but most of the rest usually is. Usually we do good first. Ryan always starts us off with good. Uh, so start us off with your good, Ryan, and then I'm going to flip the script a little bit and sure. start with my interesting, if that's okay. But what's your good of the week? Yeah. No, that's great. Um, I, my, so my good of the week, I almost uh, abandoned this, but I know you're going to get into the baseball playoffs because I, I am pumped about where we are in the baseball playoffs, but that's not my good of the week. My good of the week is actually just a handful of teams in the NFL that, uh, to me, are kind of just uh, exceeding expectations or at least are, are surprise teams. I think that there have been a number of them mm-hmm. this season, but uh, one of them, and I'll, I'll just go through a couple and what has stood out um, to me about them. The Niners are, are one of them, and not because uh, I, I know that they were a trendy team last year before Garoppolo got hurt, but I think there's some doubts as to whether um, one, he would be healthy. There was even some doubts at the start of the season if he was even going to be that good. Uh, the 49ers defense is even when the offense has been good, has kind of been an Achilles heel. They've swung and missed on some some first-round draft picks. And uh, and so I just wasn't necessarily expecting them to be at the top of the division uh, at this point in the season, which they are. And uh, and, and frankly, seeing them last night uh, wasn't the offense that impressed me that much, but it was that they were actually getting 
legitimate contributions from all the defensive linemen that they've drafted over the years. Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, Nick Bosa, the rookie, uh, second overall pick this year. Uh, they're all contributing. And they, I guess all with the exception of Solomon Thomas. Yeah, I, I, I was about to I ask about him. Yeah, not, not him, but, the, but three of the four, so, I, I suppose. Uh, serious question, because I don't, I don't follow it that closely. Is Solomon Thomas just a bust at this point? Yes, at this point, yes, but it's you know it's also early enough that maybe he figures things out. I don't know, okay. um, but anyhow, I'm just I'm I'm pleased with where the Niners are just as a fan, so that that's where I would lead off. But as far as being impressed, uh, there are a couple teams. One is the Saints, and they have not missed a beat since Drew Brees went down. And I think what impresses me about them is they have not missed a beat while almost changing their identity. They've become a little bit more smash mouth, a little bit more defense oriented, a little bit more run oriented, uh, and certainly more conservative in the passing game. And Teddy Bridgewater is is a professional and he's been fine, but um, they have not kind of had the uh, slinging around and let Drew make all these checks at the line of scrimmage thing going on with Bridgewater there. And they've beat some good teams. They rolled into Seattle and beat them. Um, the Bucks had been hot coming off a win uh, at the Rams. They they handled them as well. They beat the Cowboys in a in a kind of a defensive slugfest. And so I've just been as impressed in the way that they've done it, just as well as the fact that they are doing it without Drew Brees. So that, that's another one that stands out for me. Um, the Colts are a team who... I think a lot of people were uh, writing off when the Andrew Luck retirement news came about. And then there was some kind of maybe resurgence and there was a lot of chatter about how the Colts really believed in themselves and they thought they wouldn't miss a beat. And they kind of started hit and miss. And I thought after their week four loss to the Raiders at home that maybe that Andrew Luck thing was going to be worse uh, than, than they thought. And then they stayed the course and they rolled into Kansas City and they took down uh, the highest powered team, offensive team in the NFL in a game that they turned into a slugfest. And I was just super impressed with the resilience at the calls that Frank Reich makes, that the, the, the trusting of the percentages and the analytics of when to go for it. He's not one of those coaches that takes a field goal when he needs two scores uh, or, any, or it's a three-possession game or punts it when he's at his opponent's 34. He, he makes the calls and the decisions that are right in the moment, even if they seem like difficult ones or the non-traditional ones. And then that offensive line was in part built to protect Andrew Luck, who's now gone. But they can run block like some uh, like some animals, and they did that last night, uh, or excuse me, I should say Sunday night. Yeah, uh, they've been they've been really impressive. And so, as after that Raiders loss, I thought this might not be going so well. And with the bounce back, I think that they're certainly a contender to win their division. Um, and then uh, and then the last one is the the Buffalo Bills. The fact that they are four and one now, and again they they lost in a relatively close game to the Patriots, a one-score game, and they haven't beat too many good other teams outside of that point. And you look at the fact that they're 4-1, and one, and in their not, next five games, they get to play the Dolphins twice and the Redskins once. They, there's a, there's a real, really decent chance they're 7-3 they're and three or better uh, after Week 10. And so that that's like a... I, I kind of can't believe we're saying that, but but what impresses me about that is that it just forever has seemed like one of those destinations, and there are a few of them in every professional sports league where it just seems like free agents don't really want to go. And, I, I, and because of the weather, because of the franchise's history, um, but the fact that I, I think that Sean McDermott is doing a great job there. Uh, I think that, the, that everyone is kind of exceeding expectations there a little bit, and they've now created – 
I, I think the fan base has just been seething for it. And obviously they're notorious for being just wild people. Um, but I, I think it would be good for the NFL if the Bills um, were good. And I don't expect them to compete with the Patriots for the division. Uh, but I like that they're relevant. I like that they're winning games. I like that they, they seem like a promising team. Um, it, you, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Milwaukee in the NBA. It doesn't seem like a, a city that a lot of NBA players want to go to. But you cultivate enough talent, you get the right coaching, you start winning enough, and, and maybe you can turn it into something. So those are those are a couple of the NFL teams that have really jumped out to me uh, so far that, I, that I've just been excited about. Yeah, all good ones. I'm going to throw another one out there, and I think that we, if we're not there yet, we're getting close to saying we're, we're wrong about the Oakland Raiders. Um, 100%. 100%. I, I, I'd be remiss <laughs> to not include them. I, I talked about fading Gruden all year. I yeah. thought that... I thought that especially after winning in Indy, there was no chance in their third road game in a row that they'd go into London and take down the Bears in a Khalil Mack revenge game. Right. They, they are over 500, and they are one game behind their division leader. Uh, I, I don't. They would get the last wild card if the season were to end today, which, which it doesn't. But right, you know, and, if it did. and I and I don't expect them to contend with the Chiefs, but the fact that they're here, where they are, with some of the wins that they have over the teams that they have them over, uh, it's John Gruden deserves a lot of credit. He does, and all the teams that we have mentioned, we've mentioned four, right? We've mentioned the Raiders, the Bills, the Colts, and the Saints, and they all have yep. two things in common, Ryan, and the Niners to start. But I'm that sorry, you're good. right, yeah. and the Niners. So five teams, and they all have. All five have have something in common. They can run the ball, and they play defense. They can stop the run on defense. And that has always been the recipe for winning football games. And in this age where everyone wants to talk RPO and spread them out and four receivers and, you know, you can't hit anybody on defense, turns out that running the ball and stopping the run still wins football games. And Yes, it does. And I love that. I really do. Uh, you know, you look at the New England Patriots, I'm just looking at – some numbers here. You look at the points per game across the NFL. The Patriots are number one. The Patriots are holding their opponents to an average of under seven points a game. Um, the, this might be like the best defense Bill Belichick's ever had, and that's really saying something. Yeah, I heard Ryan Rosillo citing some numbers of the teams. I don't know what it was, but it was something they were in elite company. You know, only three teams had started. 5-0 and and held their opponents under 7 points and under something like 350 yards a game or whatever it was. And the first team, you had to go back to 1921. So, I mean, they're in extremely elite company. The Bears have the second-best defense statistically, but they're giving up almost 14 a game. I mean, the, the uh, Patriots are giving up a full touchdown and extra point less per game than the next-best team in the Chicago Bears and then the Bills are third, the Niners are fourth, and the Vikings are fifth. So all good teams. You know, the Bears notwithstanding, obviously they have the worst quarterback of that bunch, and it shows. And, you know, he's hurt too, so he's the only one who has a, a hurt quarterback of that bunch. But just, you know, you go on down the list. It's the These are all the defensive rankings, Titans, Cowboys, Packers. And then you have to get down to the Chargers before you find a really bad team. So and mm -hmm. I, and I don't. You really have to go to the Broncos. They're at one and four. To have yep. to find that they were and they are Broncos. bad. They're bad. So my point is, defense still wins. Uh, a lot of surprising teams, but the ones that you named mostly are doing it on the defensive side of the ball. 
and with running backs and you know some some previously unproven running backs with whoever yep. honestly I don't even know the name of the Niners running back the the main guy Matt Breida right didn't the guy that they were going to start the season with get hurt in the preseason? Uh, so, yeah, Jarek McKinnon was yeah. the guy that they got two years ago. He tore his – I think he tore his ACL in the last practice before the season opener last year, and then he was supposed to come back, and he never did. There was also Tevin Coleman who just came back, um, played his first game last night, but the guy who's mostly been the guy – is uh, Matt Breida, Breida. And, and he's the one who ripped off the 83-yarder on the first play from scrimmage last night, and they've also been rolling with a dude named Raheem Mostert, but, but none of these, no one knows who any of these guys are. I've honest to God, I've never heard of Raheem Mostert. Um, yeah. I just haven't been watching much of the Niners, and last night I was, uh, I was at my kid's swim class, and, and to be honest, I was watching more of the Nats-Dodgers than I was yeah. the Monday night football game. Uh, but whatever, N- nobody cares. But uh, all all good stuff, all good of the week. And that actually rolls in to my interesting of the week. And it's the dichotomy between where the NFL is right now and where college football is right now. And I don't think it's either good or bad, which is why I didn't make it my good or bad. I just find it to be interesting, Ryan. You look at the college football rankings and... You know, people are starting to talk about the big six here. The the six teams that have been at the top of the rankings the entire season so far, all undefeated. Uh, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, and Oklahoma. Those are the big six. And I and I, I feel like, and I say this, and I know that anything can and will happen in college football, but I pretty firmly believe that one of those six teams is going to win the national championship. I just I 100% agree with you. I just don't feel like anyone else has much of a chance. They from, are in a tier in a class of their own. Yeah, just from a pure talent and depth perspective mm-hmm. and also quarterback perspective, which we've talked about before. They all have elite quarterbacks. They're all scoring a ton of points. They all have pretty good, if not great, defenses. They all have proven uh, head coaches, except for Ohio State, which has a first-year head coach in Ryan Day. I think mm-hmm. he's the real X factor because when I watch these games, Ryan, I think Ohio State has the best team. I really do. Uh, now, we're going to get to see. There's going to be more big games coming. Uh, I've just been extremely impressed with what, what Ohio State's bringing to the table on both sides of the ball. They're completely loaded. I mean, they've got talent all over the field, but so do all of these teams. I mean, all these teams have elite, you know, future NFL first, second, and third round draft picks, and I just don't see who's going to compete with them. I think that they're certainly going to all lose some games. I mean, in the SEC alone, Alabama, Georgia, LSU are going to all play each other in one way or another, so they're going to knock each other off in some form or fashion. Uh, I, I feel like Clemson virtually has a bye to the playoff. I mean, the ACC yeah. is just terrible. Uh, Ohio State has some tough games, but nothing major. I just, you know, they get Wisconsin at home. I don't see that was my. I was, was going to ask you that question, Michael. Would you, on a good day, or not on a, I mean, under the right circumstances, could you see Wisconsin being in the conversation with any of those teams, or are they no. just not there because they can't throw the ball? 
yes, I don't. I just don't think that they have that elite talent. I think they're a really good team. I think they've got some really good players, and I just don't see them having the athletic depth that is yeah, required. I to, I tend to agree. Yeah, and and then you know, I mean, you go down the list: Florida, uh, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, Penn State, Texas, Auburn, Oregon. Then you get to Boise. Um, and then you get down to Utah and Michigan. None of them. Iowa. None of them are. None of them are. Contending. None of them can get it done. I mean, there may be an upset. There's going to be an upset. I mean, Texas might beat Oklahoma this week, but then they probably have to play them again. You know, Florida might go into Baton Rouge and win, but they've still got to play the cocktail party. Then they'd still have to play uh, either LSU or Alabama in the SEC champion. I just, you know, Florida's got a backup quarterback. Florida's really good. But they're you know they're not as good. They're just they're not. They're just not as good. I think anybody watching can sort of see this. And so I don't know. I just think that historically, um, not historically, but within the last fifteen or twenty years, I think we've seen a continued consolidation of power at the top of college football, just in terms of the recruiting and the talent and the coaching, not just the head coaching, but the assistant coaching. I mean, these superpowers have so much more money than lesser programs. Yeah, the resources and the staffs they employ. uh, Fly all around the country and to scout these guys. And and I don't know. I don't think it's great for the game, to be honest. As a fan uh, of Alabama, I guess I like it. But, you know, I don't, as much as I love Alabama, I like to sit down every Saturday and see great games all day. And I'm just not seeing as much of that this year. And I think there's a few reasons for it. But the biggest reason, again, is just this consolidation of power at the top of college football. And you contrast that with what you see in the NFL. And I really think it's the complete opposite. I think the Patriots are the clear favorites. But I don't think that they're a dominant team. At least right now, they've got injuries across their offensive line. Uh, Tom Brady, obviously, is at some point going to decline. I think we're seeing it. We saw it last year. We're seeing it more, although, you know, you get into December and January, uh, I would pr- I would like to have him at, my, at quarterbacking my team. I really would. I don't care really how old he is, or at least not this season. But I think it's very even. I mean, you, you just look at the standings. I mean, you talked at some of the surprise teams, but you've got a few really bad teams. You've got the winless Redskins, Jets, Dolphins, and Bengals. I mean, they're all out of it. But say for them and probably the one in four Broncos and, and maybe the one in four Falcons, but the Falcons have a ton of talent. Uh, the Cardinals are one in three. They're probably done. So you're looking at what? Ah, maybe- they are one. No, they're they're one, three, and one. They yeah, got a tie point. in there too. One, brother. three, and one. They have the tie <laughs> with the Lions. So my point is, is you know, you've, you're going to have a lot of teams in the NFL that fall somewhere between seven, eight, nine, and ten wins wouldn't you say? And I just think that the the playoff race is going to be incredible. Uh, the playoffs are going to be incredible. But you don't have any great teams. And, and there's a lot of unknown. And I just think, you know, I say this all the time. To me, that is when you have the best possible league. It's when you have the most teams in the playoff hunt, the latest you can into the season. You see it with the NFL. I don't think you're seeing it in college football. I still am loving college football. You know, I'm going to this Saturday, great slate. I'm planning on not leaving the house. I like this slate. Yeah, it's, it's a great slate. And, and I'm not going to leave the house. I'm going to watch games all day. Uh, I, it's still my favorite sport. But I just think, I don't know, there's a little bit of a bummer. We've got some really great games coming up. But I just don't think there's that many teams, six to be specific, that can legitimately win the, 
win the national championship. And honestly, I'm not sure who outside of that group of six could legitimately make the playoff if, if we want to have that discussion. So that's where I am, and that's my interesting of the week. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you're spot on about the consolidation um, of, of depth, power, resources in college football. And I, I, I'm torn on it because I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm a capitalist, you know, and, and I'm like, I, I think that if, if people have figured out a way to create these machines for themselves, good on them for, for being where they are and developing to the point that they're at. But at the same time, when there is this kind of class above the rest of them, I, I don't know if it makes the rest of the season quite as compelling because maybe we're just waiting for these matchups between the top teams or or waiting on the one weekend that somebody catches them on a bad week. And uh, I don't know that that's great. I, I'm with you that I want to see compelling football every week, but I am also I can't say uh, you know I, I would want to do anything to attempt to like level the playing field. I, I don't know that there's much to yeah. be done about it. Um, so. Uh, so I, I think it just, you know, we, we have to expect at some point there will be ebbs and flows and uh, rough patches and new, new teams that emerge and things like that. Uh, you know, co- coaches who take the, take the college football world by storm. And then as far as the, the NFL, um, I'm, I'm with you, man. Like I, I, I left off a bunch of teams that I also thought were still really compelling uh, sure. that be- because they could, there are a lot of teams that could really be serious contenders uh, this season. I mean, you look at a team like the Seahawks, who people thought think you know the, the Legion of Boom mystique is gone, and Doug Baldwin's out for the season, and they haven't had a true or he's, you know retired, excuse me, but they haven't had a true identity at running back since Marshawn Lynch left. But like here they are at four and one. Russell Wilson looks like he might be the MVP of the league. Yeah, he's um, awesome. You know you 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 look at the Packers and the fact that they're out to a four and one start, and they just absolutely shellacked the Cowboys before they kind of let them back in it towards the end, but um, they've looked great. A lot was made of the whole Lafleur rogers beat, but th- this is all beside the point. I don't, don't mean to get into that. There just there are so many teams that are doing well right now in the NFL. There's, or, at um, least, and, and or at least, you know, winning some games. Yes, yeah, yeah. being competitive. But there, yeah. are, um, there are competitive games and compelling games across the board every single week, uh, which, really I'm, you know, and I'm not they sure are. you can say that about the college game. And, you know, it, I'm not trying to compare uh, one to the other because it's, uh, I don't know that it's apples and oranges, but maybe it's uh, apple, you know, oranges and lemons or something. I, I don't know. Uh, both yeah. citrus it's fruits. It's two different sports. I mean, it's two different leagues, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and different structures, formats, sure. uh, things, things at play, all of that. But, uh, no, I, I agree with you that, that, that both are very interesting where it seems like one is becoming more and more even and the other is uh, more and more consolidated. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing to compare it to, I think, when you're talking about the college side is, you know, a lot of these programs that, you know, these top six, again, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, and Oklahoma, they've been kind of the main six with a few others interchangeable. Certainly Notre Dame's been in their USC until lately. But a lot of the superpowers of 15, 20 years ago are just garbage right now. I'm talking about Miami, Florida State in particular, those two, but even schools like I, I said, USC is kind of in a down cycle right now. Uh, Michigan is not what they were, certainly what they would hope to be. Uh, the Ducks aren't what they were a few years ago, although the Ducks, yep. you know, still have a really good team. Penn State has a really good team. Auburn has a really good team. Florida, not quite what they were. 
But, you know, there have been – Nebraska has dropped off you know, yeah, basically off the time. face of the map. Um, so there, there's been a little bit of cycle here. You know, I think Alabama, Clemson, and probably Georgia, you would say, have kind of replaced Nebraska, Florida State, and Miami from 20 years ago. I, you know, I think you could make yeah. that argument. So it's cyclical like so many other things in life, and it won't be this way forever. But right now, we're, I feel like we're kind of at maybe the back end of like a decade here that started probably when, when Saban got to Alabama. And then, you know, Urban Meyer was at Florida when he went to Ohio State. That was a and big when, move. And like when Carroll left SC for the yeah, NFL. Yeah, that all kind of happened around the same time. Roughly, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and so, and then sort of that new wave was when uh, Georgia brought Kirby Smart back to his alma mater and got him away from Saban. And then, you know, LSU, when Saban went to LSU, they've been right there for most of this time. So, you know, in Oklahoma with uh, Lincoln Riley replacing Bob Stoops, they haven't really missed a beat. In fact, I think you could ar- even argue they're better than they yeah. were even under Stoops, which nobody saw coming. So it really is kind of almost a head coaching game, I think, in that regard. Don't you think? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I think that – and I, I think the – you know, it's, it's weird because I, I've kind of experienced like the shooting star effect uh, on my end as an Oregon fan where Chip Kelly – made the program a national title contender when he was doing the things that nobody else was doing before that now everybody's doing with the with the fast tempo and the play cards and the the spread it out and the uniform ne- never huddle uh, even the uniforms and that yeah. that really wasn't as much chip as it was just the university but as far no, but as it just, was all part of that i think but at he, least in my he, mind he changed. I mean, that was that started really under Bellotti, um, okay. and he kind of just kept going, rolling with it. But I think what I think his system like matched that flash and um, and all of that. And, and but it's clearly now everyone else is caught up. It's not working for him anymore. But the reason the Ducks got to the national yeah. stage then was because of him, and the reason they're not there now is because they don't have a guy that can get them there despite having plenty of resources and a fair amount of talent. Uh, and I'm not and I'm not trying to throw shade at Mario Cristobal here, but he is not an elite uh, college football head coach, and there are well, very few of them. Well, he hasn't proven himself to be yet. You know, they could run the table here, Ryan. They could they're run not, the table. They, could, they won't. Uh, they could they, run the table. They, they won't. All right. Their offense is way too conservative. They have their quarterback in bubble wrap. Uh, I, I could go on. I, I won't. It's anyhow. Go ahead. It's but, your no, podcast. Well, I, all I believe it. I mean, I don't. Regardless of what the Ducks are able to do with the rest of this season, you'll you will not be able to convince me, especially because of some of these situational uh, in-game coaching situations uh, that. Mario Cristobal is anywhere near the same class as most of those guys you named in that top six in the country, and I think very few are. I mean, there are there it's aren't a, really many guys. Group. I think that are, it really is, and there aren't and there aren't many that are knocking on the door. I don't think, and uh, and it's yeah, you know, everyone's obviously looking for the next guy and the next big thing, and I, I don't I don't know if we know who that is or if that person's in sight, and, and those coaches like their programs are in a class of their own. Yeah, I think Tom Herman and probably James Franklin, you know, were probably yeah. the next two on that list. But James Franklin catches the flack for some of his decisions and, you know, the, the Ohio State games and, and 
how they finished those out. And like he's he's They're good, not as good, but he's not in that class. It's it's a recruiting game, I think. It, it really and is. he's great at that, but you you need to have the in game portion too. Yeah, that's what makes him elite. I've said all along that I think that a college football head coach needs two of these three things, and the elite ones have all three. And one is the X's and O's, and and the actual game coaching the other is the leadership element and the player development and like getting everyone to pull in the same direction and buy into what you want to do and then the other is the recruiting arm of it and like i believe cristobal has the leadership and the recruiting and the buy-in i'm not sure he has the x's and o's and the game stuff but i think someone like sabin swinney smart they all they have all three yeah uh and that's and i think franklin maybe doesn't but he does have the program building and the recruiting, but it is so rare that a coach and there, there are a lot of really good coaches and chip used to be one of them that was a great in-game coach and he got people to buy in within the program, but the, the recruiting part just didn't go. And part of the reason they kind of didn't sustain, but, um, but that's beside the point. I mean, I, I think that these guys, the fact that they're able to really do those, those three major components uh, with such a plumb is, uh, is a hard thing for, for most coaches to achieve. Yeah, you know what all of these coaches that, that we're talking about have in common for the most part, except for one? Uh, they all have had success almost immediately everywhere they've been, except for Dabo. Uh, Dabo, you know, you remember the whole Clemsoning term because they'd always oh, lose yeah. a game or two that they shouldn't have lost. It took him a while to get this Shed program label, to the yeah. level that it is now. Uh, most of the rest of them had success pretty much immediately at their current school or, or, you know, in the case of Saban, for example, he's kind of had success everywhere that he's been. But, mm-hmm. you know, I just do kind of find that... Except for the Dolphins. Yeah, except for the Dolphins. But college, he's been pretty darn yes. good every, everywhere that he's been. So, just an interesting comparison to... Before we move on, here's the Ducks' uh, upcoming schedule. They got the Buffaloes at home. Then they go to Seattle. Then uh, they get Mike Leach coming to town. Then they go to L.A. and face the Trojans. Then they get Arizona. Then they go to Tempe, and then they finish at home with the Beavers. That's not the toughest schedule in the world. No, it isn't, but I think that the, the, the after this Colorado game, the three games in a row that you have to navigate are going to be three games that they do not make it through unscathed. I, I, think I don't disagree. I don't think they're going to They're the going to lose one of those games. I don't think they're running the table, but they could. They could. they could. If they got through those, if they get through that, what was it? You said it was it's UW, UW, Washington State, then USC. If they get through USC, yeah. then I think they could do it. Yeah, going to Tempe ain't going to be easy. No, it isn't. And they, they've, they've struggled the last three or four years on the road just as a team in general. Yeah, that's a, that'll be a tough game. I've watched Arizona State play a couple of those night games. They're not bad. They're not no. bad. They're not good. No, they're but they're not bad. They, they'll ha- they can hang around. And They've they can got give this you trouble. true freshman quarterback who's clearly very talented. But uh, yeah, but, but he's not polished. Not at all. I know, it, he's not exact, polished yeah. at all. No. He might. Yeah. He he might be good. He's not yet. But yeah. he he, show, he shows flashes certainly. All right. Let's move forward. We spent a lot of time on my interesting because you know I thought it was pretty interesting. So. Uh, well, uh, it, it clearly it interested us both. What's your bad of the week? Uh, my bad of the week. I've I feel like recently I've I've uh, taken some coaches uh, to task on various things that they've done, and that's, so I'm going to maintain that this week. And I have a a trifecta of coaches that I have issues with this week. Um, the first one being Mike Vrabel. 
it seems like you never know what you're going to get any given week with the Titans. And I, I have a little bit of an interest because as a, as a duck, I want to see Marcus Mariota do well. And mm-hmm. I think he's a little bit in the situation. A lot of people have compared it to, I'm certainly not the first one to the Alex Smith situation with the 49ers when it first started, but Marcus Mariota has had five different offensive coordinators in his first five seasons um, and is not always had the best offensive lines around him. Hasn't been protected all that well and really hasn't had that many weapons around him either. I, I, he hasn't shown that really he can be an elite quarterback, but he also, I don't think, has gotten a lot of help either. And now he's not hes not getting much help from his head coach. Uh, they were in this – they lost to Buffalo over the weekend, 14-7. Their kicker was already 0 for 3 on field goals for the day um, when they were down – when they, I believe they were down 7 uh, in the second half facing a 4th and 4 – and instead of going for it, Vrabel decided to attempt a 53-yard field goal with his kicker that had already missed three in a game that he was down seven. <laughs> uh, I, I, you, you can't do that. And I, I think that he's – like it seems like the trends indicate you know, he's a good coach when his team is the underdog and he's not great when his team is the favorite. And uh, But there have been a couple um, – instances of of mismanagement that make me think that he may not be a career head coach and that it's more likely he's a career coordinator. Uh, I don't feel like he's making the right decisions all the time. So he's, he's, he's guy number one. Number two is Freddie Kitchens. And, uh, and he was, he made just a, a, a decision last night that I didn't understand at all on Monday night football. And that was with his team down 28 to three, he put Odell Beckham back to return a punt. Now, there are a couple things wrong with this. One, I don't think that – I mean, being on punt and kick return is notoriously one of the most dangerous player places you can put um, your skilled players. That's why a lot of skilled players don't do it. Uh, they, the ones that need them to help their team, um, different coaches have different philosophies about it. But for the most part, you don't see people that make as much money as Odell Beckham uh, returning punts for a reason. On top of that, I'm guessing he doesn't practice it a whole lot. And on top of that – if you're going to do it down 28-3, why weren't you doing it when it was when the game started? Is it, it, it it's the ultimate reeking of desperation ploy trying to it's like a try hard move to indicate you're trying to do something. Uh, but it's, it's putting like something one of your best, you would do in a video game. But it's like you're putting one of your best players at risk at a point in the game where you've already lost. It's too late for this. Like you're not salvaging anything. It's totally oh, indefensible and, of, and idiotic. And then on top of it, he fumbled the punt, which just which just magnifies the stupidity of the decision. But w- if he had run it back for a touchdown, I still think it would have been dumb. And I think Freddie Kitchens may be uh, in a little bit over his head here. Another guy who I think worked great as a coordinator. Uh, Except a good that he wasn't ever thing. a coordinator. He was just an uh, interim that's right. coordinator last year. You're right. It's crazy um, that they gave him the head coaching job. And he's my guy. He played quarterback at Alabama. You, you're the term you used is accurate. He's in over his head. And so, yeah, I mean, I just, I think that, you know, he's, he's not doing this talented team any favors. Uh, Baker kind of looks like a mess now. He's thrown off his back foot as he's fading to the sidelines a lot. He's getting intercepted a lot. Uh, it's just not, uh, the, the ship is going the wrong direction. And oh, by the way, the next two weeks they play the Seahawks and the Patriots. So how's his uh, trailer doing? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. Maybe they can get Brogan Roback back. Yeah. How, is, um, he, is he enjoying a, a nice little nap in his trailer? 
Perhaps I don't. I don't know. Okay. Uh, maybe he's getting. Uh, see if you yeah. can update <laughs> me on that before the next show. I'll, I'll see what I can find on that. But uh, I'll move on to my final coach. And I don't know if you saw this. The Mark Few comments about. I did see this. The this was a little bit unbelievable. When I, when I read this, when I read this, I I thought, well, that's a little strong. Um, and he was basically asked by Jeff Goodman, who now works for Stadium. Um, about the um, fair uh, fair pay to play act that Gavin Newsom uh, was pushing in California, and news and uh, news not Newsom uh, excuse me Fuse's response was quote what I find totally disappointing and just disgusting is that is that a governor is wasting his time grandstanding around in something that he doesn't really understand when 0.00001% of his constituents are going to be impacted by this. He then went on to say he should probably stay in his lane, like I tell my players, and figure out homelessness. And I think he's got a state that borders Mexico and get that mess figured out and the budget and some things like that. What? What? Mark Few's not a fan of the new rule. Clearly. Yeah. Um, that was uh, that went so many different directions, and there were so many things to unpack there. For one, clearly Mark Few is working a school that would, would see more negative impact from this than positive. Uh, private religious school uh, in a in a destination where there's there's not necessarily a ton of uh, you know sponsorship money in. Uh, in Eastern Washington and Spokane, I don't necessarily believe. Um, and, uh, and it's not to say that there isn't affluence there, but it's, it's not being in LA or in the Bay area places in or California Phoenix. where there's, where there's, or where there's just a lot more money yeah. to go around for, where he's for sports getting where, sports marketing, against bigger where all markets. these schools that he's out, been out recruiting. So I can get why he doesn't like it or doesn't mm-hmm. want it. Um, but to, to attack the governor, um, and then play essentially the same card that Mike Leach does of he doesn't he have bigger fish to fry and oh by the way homelessness in Mexico like what what is that uh, I, that that's not even really addressing the issue and it's making you look like uh, I, I mean it's it's making you look like an asshole is what it's doing I, I don't you know I'm sure there are people that agree with him politically and probably quite a few in Eastern Washington that do but at the same time like that's that's not really the point of the issue here the point of the question and and you seem to be one against this thing that could uh, improve the lives of your athletes and then two are, are throwing out some red herrings that really have nothing to do with this uh, issue and make it look like you're trying to not talk about something uh, because you have issues about something else yeah, you know, obviously we talked about this on the podcast two weeks ago when the news broke, you know, this this law that Newsom signed, and I've spent a bunch of time thinking about it and what's going to actually happen, and I think that, you know, where my head is going on this is the same place that a lot of people's heads are going on this, which is simply this. What this law is going to give boosters the ability to do is to pay as many players as they want, as much as they want legally and it's really as simple as that and boosters have been paying these players you know for the last 75 80 years illegally and now they're going to be able to do it legally and the more money these boosters have obviously the more they're going to be able to pay them so it's gonna 
manifest itself probably in one of two ways. It's either going to sort of make what's been dirty a little bit more above board, a little bit more public. But, you know, with the legality aspect of it, I think it's going to become more widespread. So I think where the real interesting part is, is is it going to make a school like Gonzaga, for example, if you've got a bunch of wealthy boosters at Gonzaga, you know what, Gonzaga is not a great example. A, a better example is a school that maybe hasn't been as successful. Let's use the example at Fresno State football. Is Fresno State football going to be able to cobble together enough wealthy boosters, you know, a guy that owns a car dealership, a guy that owns a restaurant, and a guy that owns an insurance agency? You know, are they going to be able to pay the top 20 football players the same way a booster at, say, Oklahoma might be able to do it? Or not just one booster, but five or ten boosters. But that's the other thing is, do you think that that's how that's going to happen? Because yes. I think what they're paying, but what they're going to pay for, though, is, is name, image, and likeness. So it's like, what Yeah, what but it's going to be bogus, okay? Th- that That's where I think we're heading on this, if, if you follow what I'm saying. It's not just going to be... See, I don't think it has to be bogus if it's administered the right way. I don't, there's not going to be anyone to administer it, Ryan. I really don't think. I think that you're, you're, you're just taking the top off of a box that's been there all along. It's been boiling all along, and now it's just going to overflow. You know, I think that Jalen Hurts, to use the example of Oklahoma, Jalen Hurts is obviously going to get money off jersey sales. But, uh, you know, the, the center, who is an important part of that team, you know, the offensive lineman, an insurance agency is going to bring him into the fold to endorse that pr- their product. Maybe he endorses it, maybe he doesn't, but he's going to get paid. He's been getting paid Why? all along, but now he can get paid more and out in the open, and you don't really have to hide it anymore. And I think I just think that how that affects recruiting and sort of the competitive balance and what we were talking about before with the consolidation of power, and I would argue that a big reason you've seen the consolidation of power in college football in particular is because the schools, like you said, the schools with the most money. It's not just revenue that we're talking about. We're talking about booster money, ticket money, all the money that's just coming into the program, and they're, they've been using that to pay recruits and pay players. So let's just be honest about it. But now it's going to be out in the open. So I, I think that that's what, that's what these coaches see happening. I think that's what Mark Few is really railing about. And when they're bitching about it, they're bitching about it purely because of recruiting and competitive balance. That, that's but my the, and the bigger and I think you're right. But the but I have as big an issue with fuels is why what does homelessness in Mexico have to do with any of it? Nothing. He went completely over the line with that. But that's not what yeah. he, that's not what he's actually upset about. No, it's not. But but he looks but he looks like a fool for invoking those two other things. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and then, you know, Jim Beheim yesterday at ACC Media Day, I thought, brought up a point, which I've been making all along in all of this. And he talks about, you know, how he's generally for the players being able to make money off their likeness. But he's worried about what's going to happen when his star is getting $250,000 a year and the third star isn't getting anything. And he's worried about how that's going to affect the team dynamic. I think that's a legitimate concern. But I think the third star is going to get paid here too, so I, I you know, I really do, and, and I think that's where that's where we're heading because most of these big time programs have enough big boosters to where you know they can pay the guys that play in college basketball, and they can pay most, if not all, of the starters at the big programs 
in college football. And I think that you're going to see the rich get richer out of all. I think that's the ultimate sort of result of all of this is the rich get richer. And that's just kind of how our, our, our country is set up in almost every area. Uh, yes, that's, that is kind of the way it works. I'm with you. Okay, uh, so that's your bad of the week. My bad of the week came uh, on some news this morning that we got where it had kind of been bubbling up uh, before. And it's this ongoing Oakland Athletics stadium mm-hmm. saga. It took another twist this morning. The where, circus. Where, where, yeah, it, I mean, it's, uh, and we've talked about this before, and it just seems to be the story that never ends. And uh, Oakland. Excuse me. Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, or is it Schaff? I'm not sure. Schaff, yeah. Okay, Libby Schaff. She came out and sort of uh, confirmed the report that MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred told the city of Oakland that if they can't figure out this lawsuit that they've now filed against the county of Alameda, where, the, where Oakland is, that's the county they're in, if they can't figure this out, then the A's might move to Las Vegas. Now... Uh, that report had been out there, I think, late last week. The fact that the Oakland mayor confirmed it today, I think, kind of set off a firestorm among the A's fan base because this A's mm-hmm. fan base is a downtrodden one. Uh, yep. You know, they lost another wild card game last week. They haven't won a playoff series. I think they've lost like their last nine playoff series. Obviously, their team doesn't spend much money. They've got the worst and maybe second worst stadium in baseball. They can't seem to get a new one. And, the, the, you know, just, just the ultimate thorn in the side of A's fans is to say your team's going to move away from Oakland. I mean, they were pissed when they were trying to move to San Jose. Vegas is another thing. I don't know if Manfred is serious. I mean, we haven't heard any real interest from either Vegas nor the A's ownership. Uh, about is there a market for baseball in Vegas? Well, you know, I was in Vegas a couple weeks back, as I told you, and I was talking to some people about this. Now, I wasn't talking to the mayor. I wasn't talking to any of th- I was talking to Uber drivers and blackjack dealers. But, <laughs> but you know, it seemed like... <laughs> the people with boots on the ground. Right. I, I was, and bartenders. And uh, they seem to think that, you know, people love the Vegas Knights, man. I mean, it's really... They've got every game is sold out now, and I think a lot of that has to do with their initial success. But there's a lot of excitement for the Raiders to come, and it seems like you know we we thought forever would a pro sports franchise work in Vegas, and I feel like with the success of the Vegas Knights now, there's just a groundswell of support. I think to get all four major sports there now. But I, don't I know. but I also think that if you you take into account. The volume of games, 82 of them, and the fact that you're talking about summer in Las Vegas yep. makes it very difficult. But, and I've thought about that too, um, I think if you build a, a great indoor stadium and you've got a competitive team, people would like it if for no other reason it gives them something, an air-conditioned place to get out of the house that isn't a casino. So maybe yeah, they would true. like that there. True. But you need the support of the locals. And I do wonder if uh, the Vegas local community would support a Major League Baseball team. And I honestly, I don't know. I I really don't know. You know, the economics of Vegas is always strange. You know, when when our country and our economy hits a recession, Vegas feels it as bad as anyone. So I would worry, as you said, about putting 81 dates there for that reason, especially in the summer. Um, So I, I don't know. But I do think that they're... Is starting to be more chatter about it, whether it's the A's or not. 
I think there, it's becoming, you know, there aren't a lot of viable markets in MLB uh, for MLB teams, markets that don't have them. I mean, you hardly hear of, of any. You hear a little bit maybe sometimes about Nashville. Uh, but yeah, that's really and, the and I think you one. hear about Montreal again as well. A and, little and bit. Frank, and frankly, here in Portland, there's a, there is a big groundswell. There's a whole thing called the Portland Diamond Project that uh, they're trying to get uh, bringing baseball to Portland uh, rolling up here. I don't know that there's a market for it up here consistently, but uh, I personally would love it. Yeah. Um, back to Oakland. So, you know, this is just another, as I said, another uh, another peg in this chapter of stories. No one really knows where it's going to go. You know, the A's owner, the Fisher family, they, they've made a lot of their money owning the Gap. They are always silent. I mean, they say nothing. Um, yep. And they've... You know, you never really know. The reports have them in the top five most wealthy of all baseball owners. But they've shown very little, if any, indication to spend any of their own money on this new stadium. Now, you know, they've got this big plan now to build the A's. Do they have this big plan to build this uh, stadium at Howard Terminal Terminal on the water, which is adjacent to Jack London Square? There's major public transportation issues there. There's major environmental issues there with building on the water in California. And as far as the financing, the word has always been publicly that the Fishers are going to, quote unquote, have it financed privately. But that, to me, is a little bit dicey. I mean, they haven't really come out with any sort of plan. There's been no paper signed. There's been really no nothing. All there's been is a bunch of artist renderings of this great-looking new There's stadium. been nothing of substance all along. Nothing of substance. You know, they, they, they keep trotting out these artist renderings, and they plaster them all over bus stops all around the city with the hashtag rooted in Oakland. To me, it's basically propaganda. I mean, I've lived here for 12 years, and I've been hearing about this A stadium since the day I got here. It goes back farther than that. You know, they cried poor when the Giants blocked them from moving to San Jose. They had no financing structure in place for that. The ownership doesn't spend any money on players. They don't want to spend any money on improving the stadium. It wasn't until two years ago when they bring Dave Cavill over from the earthquakes that they did anything to improve the fan experience at the Coliseum. So I just don't really believe anything that comes out of the A's camp pertaining to a stadium. And now what's going on with this lawsuit where the city and the county are fighting over the money? So I guess they jointly own the land that the Coliseum is on, also where Oracle, which isn't even Oracle Arena, it's just the place the Warriors used to play. It's sitting there. You know, the Raiders are going to Vegas. Yeah. The stadium, uh, the, the city and the county joint own the, the, the piece of land. And I guess the A's, and this is kind of the weirdest part of the whole thing to me, Ryan. The A's want to buy the land so that they cannot put the stadium there, but they are going to redevelop the land and build like condos and malls and stuff on there. And, you know, they've made a promise to build low income housing there, but they're going to use the money that they make off this development deal to finance, to finance the yeah. stadium, right? So that to me is kind of the weird part because, again, this owner who apparently has enough money to get a deal done, he can certainly get a group together to build a stadium on his own, just as Joe Lacob and the Warriors did across the bay in San Francisco. If he wanted to do it, he would do it. 
but he's had 20 plus years to do it. He hadn't done a damn thing. And, you know, and, and, and here we are. And to me, that's where the rubber hits the road. The A's ownership is cheap. They don't want to build a new stadium. They at least don't want to spend any of their own money to build a new stadium, which is their prerogative. But stop lying about it. And you know what? Maybe sell the freaking team. How about that? Just sell the team. <laughs> so that's my yeah. take. That's my bad of the week. I want to get your – I went on and on. You're a Danville native. You grew up, what, 20 minutes, 15 minutes from the Oakland Coliseum? 20. Yeah, about, about 20. Yeah, about 25. Yeah, but 2025. Anyhow, um, it's it's been a bad situation for a while, as you noted. Uh, yeah. The area where they're located has never been a good one. It's ne- I mean, even when um, – before they built Mount Davis back there on the, in the Coliseum, and for those who aren't familiar with that, it's, it's basically all of the seats that tower over center field – uh, when it's oriented for baseball, they're put there for football and almost never got filled up. Um, yeah, and Mount uh, Davis because Al Davis. Is the Al Davis was was the one who put it in there. But um, but yeah, I mean, essentially, they have a small, um, passionate fan base that doesn't have enough pull to actually get their local constituents or not, I shouldn't say constituents, uh, basically their local lawmakers to care enough about this, to try to push for this being, uh, something that is, is interesting to the public government. Uh, and then the A's owners are cheap as you, as you've noted. So they're, they're looking for other ways and places to finance it because they don't want to do it themselves. They want, like you said, to, be able to take what they have and make money off of that to make money for this new thing. They don't want to open up their own wallets. And unfortunately, when you have a fan base that isn't large in numbers, uh, that isn't doesn't have enough voices, and and you have an ownership that is unwilling to put enough of themselves into it, this is where you're going to be. And uh, and. I don't know what the future for them is like in Oakland. I think Howard Terminal would be awesome for them, but I, I don't see a path to that. I don't know what the path is. Uh, I honestly don't. I, I Relocation, I, I hope, is a thing that doesn't happen because I wouldn't want that to happen to, to A's fans, but there's, there's not enough consistent support for them where they are, and I don't know where you have to put them and how you make that happen for there to be enough support. So uh, it, it's a little bit of a conundrum, and I, I'm not really sure where it goes from here. Yeah, I think there is enough support. I think that if the ownership group hadn't shit all over the fan base for the last 20-plus years, he'd be in a lot better situation in terms of attendance. I think that when, you know... I think if you built a new stadium, it would solve all your problems. And it doesn't even matter where you build it. I think they should just build it, you know, buy it, buy this piece of land that the Coliseum sits on, tear down Oracle Arena, build a new arena there. You've got the BART there. You've got the highway. Build a great, great arena. Put some condos and, and bars and whatnot around it. And then tear down the Coliseum when you're done. Boom. That's the play. But you got to pay for it mostly yourself. You can't just go around asking for handouts from the city. The city's been very clear that they're cash poor. You know, it's a, it's a very liberal government. It's a very fractured government. You know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know the ins and outs of the Oakland City Council and at the Alameda government. I, I don't. But I know that they've got issues financially and otherwise. And you know, they're not going to give the A's $200 million or more to build a stadium. So the Fishers either need to build a new stadium or 
figure out somewhere else to go or sell the team. I mean, it's really that simple. But they aren't really forced to do that, as you noted. They can just sit there and be silent and rake in whatever money they can make selling $12 beers and $7 hot dogs at the Coliseum. And, and they seem to be perfectly content with that. And the team continues to win in spite of them. And, and, you know, again, I think that there are enough fans. I think it's a vibrant community. I think it's an economically thriving community. And I think if you would just stop treating your fan base so poorly relative to the stadium and the inability or unwillingness to pay your free agents ever, it would solve all of your problems. I think the fans are there. I hope they stay in Oakland. I hope they figure it out. What I really want is for the Fishers to sell the team, similar to how the Warriors sold it to Joe Lacob, and the whole thing turns around. I yep. think that, that would be the best-case scenario. Is there any – I mean, not like you are in touch with the Fisher family, but <laughs> is there any indication that could be well, something that would happen? There have been some rumors over the last few years of maybe Joe Lacob being interested in buying the team. Hmm. Um, outside of him – That's right. I, I do remember that now. Yeah, you know, I think there was even a time that Mark Cuban's name was was brought up. Um, that also rings a bell now. That yeah, you say it. I, I'd forgotten about both of those, but not in a while. Yeah, no, it had. You're right. Uh, so you know, I don't know. I would think it would be a pretty attractive purchase for. I would think so too. For some people out there, I really do. Yep. Particularly with all the money you have in the Bay Area. I would think it would be a pretty attractive. A pretty and Oakland's attractive thriving right now. Because honestly, you can't. The bar has been set so low. Anybody who comes in and just immediately starts throwing a little bit of money around would be would be an immediate hero, right? It's it, not going to take a lot to make it a lot better, and it, it really could be wouldn't. done pretty quickly. You need a new stadium. I mean, Las Vegas just built a stadium in two years, Ryan. They just it just went yep. up almost like overnight. I saw it driving to the airport. I mean, it's almost done. They started it last year. It's unbelievable. It, it really just build a new stadium. It, it's it's it shouldn't be that <laughs> it shouldn't be that tough. E- easy for me to say. That's my bad of the week. What's your interesting? Uh, my interesting is this uh, this whole situation that's bordering on now an international incident with the Crazy. Houston Rockets, the NBA, and China. Um, it's really wild, and for those it who haven't really followed, is. there's there are a lot of things going on here. But I'll, I'll try to summarize as best I can, and you can help me fill in the gaps. But uh, basically, what it comes down to is their general manager Daryl Morey uh, tweeted in support of a political movement in Hong Kong that the Chinese government is against, or that the protest was protesting the Chinese government, and. The Rockets are in China, um, or we're going to China. Are they in China? I don't know. They're um, in China. They are in China to yeah. play preseason ball, and and basically, this tweet offended the Chinese government enough that they're they're taking the games off of um, the state-run media uh, where where they're they're scheduled to air. They've done away with a bunch of Rocket signage, and basically. The country is like offended by this. It has caused the owner of the Rockets and their superstar James Harden to essentially apologize for their GM's opinions, saying he doesn't speak for all of us. Meanwhile, the commissioner of the league has had to try to get out in front of this because he doesn't want the league to lose a lot of money over it. And, and that's that's gonna be that's the biggest thing at play here. And we'll get to that in a minute. It's but really the only thing in play. 
but basically Adam Silver has said we do support people's uh, you know right to uh, to voice their opinions right but all but also we value our uh, you know our relationship here and uh, don't don't want to see all our money taken away so that's what's at play here and I think that what's what's interesting about it for me is it's you know the 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 idea or the principle that everybody has a price that uh, it, it's easy to stand for something when it's not costing you anything and uh, as soon as it, as soon as people's money are, are involved it changes people's tune a little bit and I I, I don't I think that the tweet from Daryl Morey initially was not intended to to really move the needle one way or another at all he he had a personal opinion about something. Uh, and and did not see coming uh, the 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 domino effect and then the, the subsequent backlash that that tweet would have. But uh, but what it's done is it's 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 put the NBA and the Rockets in an interesting position. And, and there are a couple things that are interesting about this. But the fact that the NBA that has been so pro individualism and and, and progressive um, pro- progressive political culture and uh, these things that seemingly are, are these ideas that athletes should be able to have their own voice and mm-hmm. don't have to just fall in line uh, or, or tow a company or, or team or league line um, in, in what they do every day is now being – they're kind of pumping the brakes on that a little bit if it's going to cost the league mil- billions of dollars, which which it could. So um, the whole situation is, is a wild one, and I saw later – Earlier tonight, that uh, ESPN has told uh, their reporters that they they may not comment on the situation. Um, it's 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 really gotten big very quickly. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think you did a pretty good job of breaking. I'm, I'm it down. sure I missed some things. There's some new. There's a lot going on here, and I want to come right out and say I didn't really understand politically what was going on here. I don't follow. Um, I still don't, and so I'm not. What's interesting to me is not the political cause, but just the the, well, the crossing part. of political and, and, and yeah and uh, the the, the political nature of what's going on in China is really at the heart of this, Ryan. And so I didn't really fully understand this. I mean, you hear about China being a dictatorship and a communist country, uh, Hong. So you know, I don't really understand what that is all about. I don't pretend to. I'm not. I'm just not in any way an expert on this. So what what I say on this could be wrong. I've tried to talk to some friends in the know. I've tried to read up on it basically so I can just understand it and also so I can talk about it here on this podcast. But basically, uh, the political culture in China, it, it's a dictatorship. And at least publicly, the, the citizens have to support the government at all turns. And if not, they're in danger you know, of being jailed or, or maybe even, way, I, or maybe even being killed. So when Daryl Morey tweeted to, uh, oh, go ahead. I've sorry. been to China I've been to China three times and I've seen this in action as well. So okay. um I, I can So you can I, speak I can, to that far better than I can. But continue uh, on 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 the political goings on. Right. So so even the citizens who may want to be living in a more free political system, you know, they at least again publicly have to fall in line with the government. And so when Daryl Morey tweets his support for the protesters in Hong Kong, which are supporting against the dictatorship and pro-democracy, uh, the, the ruling party in the rest of China, 
basically now is coming down on Mori and the Rockets. They're threatening to not show the Rockets games on TV anymore. Uh, the Rock, the NBA is huge in China. Uh, tons of fans in China. Uh, it, it really, I think. And do you know what stat I heard today, Michael? That was mind blowing. There are more people that watch the NBA in China than there are people who watch the NBA in the United States. No, that doesn't gr- surprise me. It, no, it, I, from, from the standpoint of, of population, it makes sense. But when you think about how many people, the, the, basically the people in America who watch the National Basketball Association are outnumbered by the people in China who watch it, it's, it's important what happens here. It's not like this is the minority of your viewers. Yeah, and the Rockets angle is an interesting one because a big reason for the explosion in popularity mm-hmm. of the NBA is because of Yao Ming. Uh, becoming the first Chinese-born player to make it in the NBA. He's a superstar in China. Obviously, he played his whole career for the Rockets. He has come out now against his former team, you know, sort of towing the political line because he has all sorts of business deals in China. He can't stand to ruin that sort of deal and that sort of reputation. So all the big businesses in China, all the powers that be in China, all the the companies that, you know, at, you know, Clay Thompson... Well, is endorsed by a Chinese yep. shoe company. You know, CJ McCollum is as well, I know. Yeah, you know, all the, the broadcast... There, there are a handful of them that are. The, yeah, the broadcast stations that show the NBA in China, they are all in line with the ruling the ruling class, the ruling government. So they even if they sort of agree with Mori, which I'm sure a lot of them do, they at least publicly have to come down hard they can't say it. Yeah. against the Mori, against the Rockets, and against the NBA. So that's what's really going on here. Then the other part of it that you alluded to, which to me is probably the more interesting part, is the hypocrisy part on the part of a lot of people in the NBA. A lot of players, a lot of coaches. Uh, Steve Kerr is in the crosshairs because Steve That was Kerr, something else I wanted to get to. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so Steve Kerr has been incredibly open in public about being uh, against Donald Trump and, and particularly against uh, the NRA and the Republican alignment with the NRA. You know, his dad was shot and murdered overseas when he was a young boy, so he's got a personal stake in this game. But he's been very outspoken, you know, against Trump and against not so much the GOP, but the GOP's alignment with the NRA. And then the NBA, as you said, as a league, has been very much progressive, very much in support of, of human rights, uh, players' rights, civil rights, you know, uh, yeah. race rights, all of those things. But now that business deals are at stake, you're not hearing Steve Kerr uh, rush to Daryl Morey's support. Uh, LeBron has been very outspoken against the, our president been very outspoken in support of guys like Colin Kaepernick. So have a lot of other players around the league. James Harden has as well. But now they're not, you know, going against the Chinese government. So that that's where the hypocrisy comes into play. And that to me is probably the most interesting part of the whole thing. Well, and I think it's very clear. I, I think Steve Kerr probably has an opinion on this. And my guess based on uh, what he's been vocal about before and how he's been vocal before is he would align himself with where the tweet came from uh, in Daryl in, in Daryl Morey, but I believe that he has been told explicitly from the league, 
shut up and don't talk about this one. Um, yep. You know, I, and, I, and I think Popovich has been issued the same edict, and uh, I don't think either one of them like it. I, I saw someone even uh, point out that if you if you watch Steve Kerr's face closely enough, that says kind of more about what he thinks about the situation than what he was able to actually say uh, when you hear the audio bite of it. But um, it's that that is the interesting part of it to me, where it's we believe in all these things until a point when it affects us all in a different way. And then we need you to all fall in line so we don't all lose our money. And, uh, you know, I mean, having having seen uh, the way the government I mean, when I say seen I was there on uh, trips involving baseball uh, three times and did a lot of tourist sites. But I also saw somebody trying to uh, sell postcards in Tiananmen Square illegally and uh, g- grabbed by police and beaten with a club in, oh. in front of my face wow. um, because they, they're not allowed to do that and they know that they're not allowed to do that. And everybody else looks at it like, yeah, that's just – that's normal punishment. He wasn't supposed to be there doing that. I mean it's just accepted that – uh, if you're one, once you're out of line, that they'll they'll put, they'll put you back in line, and that's the way that's going to go. Um, but that that's just that's a small anecdote of it. But I, I, it's it's very clear there that your best course of action is to fall in line. That's how you become most successful there, and that's how all these companies have become as successful as they've been. And uh, and all these people who I'm sure would support uh, human rights, human freedoms, democratic. Um, opportunities and, and freedoms would 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 support these all these elements in China, but now because the league is like, well, we're not sure we can be political about this, so please let's sweep this under the rug. What we've done, and let's not then lift this rug and show all the dust that's under here. Totally agree. Um, all right, let's move on. Where are we? Um, uh, let's see. My you, good of the week. Yeah. My good of the week. Baseball. So, baseball. Let's let's talk a little baseball. We've got, as we said, and as everybody who follows sports knows, we've got three out of the four division series going to a game five. You got two tomorrow, starting with the Braves and Cardinals in Atlanta, then the Nationals and Dodgers in LA, and then the next night, uh, the ALDS shifts back to Houston where the Rays. Uh, got to Justin Verlander tonight. It was Verlander's first ever start in his career on three days rest. It didn't didn't go, go so well. No, but it didn't go terribly. I mean, they only he gave up what three, and then a reliever gave up the fourth. I think I'm not sure yeah. on that. Yeah. Uh, but the Rays just shut down that crushing Astros offense. So you'll see Garrett Cole on the mound in Game Five on Thursday. But you know, do-or-die situations in any sports playoff is always really exciting. You know, I've been watching, I've watched pretty much every pitch of the first four Braves-Cardinals games. Uh, I've been in it, like, you know, as much as ever before. I turn it into a complete basket case when these games get into the seventh (laughs) inning and deeper. Now, every game has been incredible, dramatic. Uh, The comeback win down to their final out, the Braves were on Sunday, was just freaking fantastic. But, you know, they blow, they've blown two leads. They blew game one. They blew a lead yesterday afternoon. And I, it's now nervous time for the Braves. They need to win this series. But, you know, every game, every game of these playoffs, I feel like, well, at least of that series. I haven't watched a ton of the others. I've watched quite a bit of the Nationals and Dodgers. But to me, Ryan, when your team is in the playoffs, in the Major League Baseball playoffs, to me that's about as exciting as 
is sports cancer. There's just nothing like it. I mean, they, just every pitch is so important. It's so big. Anything can happen. And especially when you're playing these games. I mean, the Braves have played every one of these four, first four games, and so they're going to do it again at weird times. You know, it's not fully daytime. It's not fully nighttime. The shadows play a huge factor. Uh, I don't really like that. I don't like the way this MLB baseball schedule is. I would prefer them to, you know, maybe space it out a little more. I'm not really sure how they can do that, but if they can't do that, just play, overlap the games more. They don't need to be on... Uh, you know, in their in their own time slot. I mean, the Braves game is on at two o'clock on the West Coast tomorrow. That is it's just a, stupid. a terrible stupid. time. I mean, yesterday in St. Louis, they played at two o'clock local time on a Monday with like no time to plan for that. If you're a fan, it's just I don't know. I don't like it. I'm not sure what they can do. We don't need to spend much more time on that. But we should have three really, really compelling game fives, and then the league championship series. And you know, like I don't know why you wouldn't just treat it like a like a football doubleheader or something, and do one at four and one at seven on the West Coast, or seven and ten. Like, well, because then the Nats are playing at ten o'clock local. Well, no, no, no. I mean, you don't make the Nat. You don't make the well. Okay, I, I mean, I guess, but isn't that better than making everyone go to the ballpark in the middle of the I day? I don't think so. It's, I mean, TV I is going to TV rules the day here. You can't have that okay, game how about, starting how about, at ten o'clock okay, on the yeah, East Coast. Yeah, I don't know. How about three and six then? I don't know. I I would just prefer a little more overlap. You know, kind of like they do with March Madness. You know, it's okay yeah. to have multiple games. But there's just going two on. games. You've got to be able to figure out a way to have two games on without overlap. They do it in the hockey playoffs, right? I think hockey is the best comparison here, don't you? No, they do it at four and seven. Yeah, I mean, they, but there, there's a third one that starts at like six or five thirty or something. But there's always a late game in hockey. It's it, but it's always a West Coast team. I don't know. I don't like how they do it. And it's not great for growing the game because these games are great no, games. It's terrible for growing the game. It's terrible. It's and like, I, and the I don't kids think, are in school. Children and I don't can't think watch that them. you're getting the best product because these guys are playing at different times every day. I they're agree. playing at times they're not used to. They're you know, they're losing the ball in the sun. They're losing you know, the batters can't see the ball coming out of the shadows. It's ridiculous. It, yeah, it just agree, is, agreed on all of it. It, it, it's ridiculous. But, again, the games have been great. I'm really nervous about the Braves. I just want them to win. If they, you know, I don't expect them to win the NLCS and get to the World Series. Just beat the freaking Cardinals tomorrow night, man. We, we haven't won, not to say we, the Braves haven't won a, a playoff series in since 2001. 2001! It's been 18 <laughs> years. Win the game tomorrow night. I really want to see them win the game tomorrow night. That's my good of the week. Awesome. No, I, I mean, the fact that we have three out of the four series going to a game five, I'm pumped about. Um, I, I've been – I also like the fact that this round is a five-game series. It makes the games more meaningful. I'm I think that if they, were, if they were if they were seven-game series, I think, um, you know, you, you wouldn't see um, nearly the level of competitiveness maybe um, but because – it's just easier for the underdog to get there, it seems. And being down 2-0 and coming all the way back isn't out unheard of. It's not out of the question. The Giants did it against the Reds. We've seen it happen. And, uh, you know, the Rays have that chance. And, you know, I, I think everybody uh, was was quick to pick the Dodgers and the Astros to kind of emerge here. And 
Uh, as I said last week, I think the Yankees could give the Astros trouble too. But here we are, one good one pitching gem from the Nats or the Rays, and uh, one of those teams is going home uh, after just five games. And uh, yeah. and I love that. I'm all in, man. Yeah, I mean, I like it. <laughs> I've thought about this too. I like it from just a pure fan perspective. When it's one of your teams in it, I don't love it. I would prefer this Braves-Cardinals series to be a seven-game series, mainly because I think we have a better and deeper roster than they do, and I think we would have more of an advantage. <laughs> so because it benefits you personally. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the honest <laughs> God's truth. But, the, the you know, I don't like how, uh, to take my Braves fan hat off, I, I don't really like how you play. I mean, they take, the baseball season's, really seven months long because you get a month of spring training then six whole months of baseball almost every day and then it's like they're in a hurry to just jam it into these 31 days of october oh i've had the biggest issue with the, the one game wild card after a 162 ridiculous. game season yeah it's stupid it's just stupid i would rather see best of three wild card best yes. of seven uh ds and then best of seven lcs and world series Shorten the season by a week or two if you have to. They're not going to do that because that's money out of their pocket. But the right. best part of the baseball season is right now. I mean, the regular yes. season's fine. It's too much for most people. But, I mean, if you're a sports fan, you got to love these games that are going on. It's fantastic. So why not have more of it? Yep. Uh, well, I, I agree why not have more of it, but I also... I'm, I'm, I don't hate the five format in the DS. No, I, don't, um, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's fine. I'd rather it be seven, but I don't hate it. I'm with you. Fair enough. All right. In the book. Let's go in the book. Um, what do, I mean, as we said, a great college football Saturday slate. I've got my eye on a bunch of spreads that I feel like are too high, and I kind of feel like they're too high for a reason, and you should probably take the favorites. But I, I stole your thunder. Sorry. No, I, I'm actually in a very similar boat on a number of these, Michael. Okay, um, interesting. So, there, the, well, and, and I should preface this by saying I am not doing well on the college football slate. So my, my picks should, should not necessarily be fallen, although I am over 500 in the NFL, so you can listen to me there. Yeah, um, I'm I'll, doing I'll well in both, actually. Yes, you are. You're and, doing very well in the NFL. Yeah, and I, you know, I that's... Don't don't think that I'm going to start doing well, people. It's I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. But um, but so the the favorites that I like um, LSU against Florida. I think that Florida is is due to get blown out. I think that LSU has their offense humming for the first time in a while. Um, I know that's but that game is in Baton Rouge. It'll be nighttime by the time that game finishes. Um, it's nighttime just, when it starts. That's on at uh. Seven thirty. That's on east. five o'clock. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought it was five o'clock east. No, seven thirty. So it'll be. Oh wow. Six thirty okay. in Baton Rouge. Oh, okay. I thought I thought it was five o'clock east and like two o'clock here. Anyhow. No, it's um, it's that, the Fowler Herb Street game this week. Gotcha. Okay. Well, even yeah. better. Um. So yeah, I mean, I, that makes me like LSU even more. But I just I think that with the problems that the Gators have had at quarterback, I just think that. They are in over their heads here. I think that LSU is uh, is high powered, high octane enough uh, to make that happen. So they're one. Wisconsin is another, mostly because I think Michigan State tried to empty the tank, staying with 
um, Ohio State last week, and they they really weren't even able to. I was, yeah. Ohio State was able to pull away late, but you they know they fought score them. in the second half. No, but they fought them in the first half, and they were within three or six or something like that for a while. I just I, I think Wisconsin, the way they're bullying people physically, it's a good matchup for Wisconsin. So uh, I like them laying ten and a half at home, um, and then. I like Alabama coming off the bye. I think that there's there's been nothing that's been that impressive to me about this A&M team um, coached by Jimbo. I know it's his job to get his team up for these games, but um, I'll take the tide laying 16 and a half. And then, uh, but I do like a couple, um, I do like a couple underdogs. Colorado getting 20 and a half is way too many points. As I stated last week, I didn't have the balls to put this in uh, my actual picks in our pool, but I liked um, I liked Cal to cover against Oregon because I said that Oregon doesn't have any interest in blowing anybody out. They just want to control the game, win it with defense, keep the ball on the ground. It's a far cry from the Oregon years of old. 20 and a half is way too many points. I, I think Oregon wins. I'm not particularly worried about Colorado as an, as an opponent. They Listen, any team could beat Oregon on any given night. Any one could win any given night in the Pac-12. We've seen that. But 20 and a half is way too many. Um, and then... I also think that 11 is too many in the Red River shootout. Uh, I, I, I've been winning uh, some of my few wins on Oklahoma this year, uh, covering big. But Texas, uh, we, we have heard plenty about Tom Herman as, a double, as, a, as an underdog, as a double-digit underdog. I, I just feel like Herman finds a way to keep it close enough. Okay. Um, yeah, so back to what I was saying earlier, where – I agree with you. So there's a bunch of these 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 power teams I feel like are, are favored. <coughs> it feels like they're favored by too many. You mentioned LSU. You mentioned Oklahoma. I would throw Clemson in there as well, and you also mentioned Wisconsin. To me, it, they all feel probably like too many points, and for that reason, I kind of want to bet the favorites in all four of those games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oklahoma, LSU, Clemson. And Wisconsin and Alabama and Alabama. I, I agree with you on Alabama as well. So I would, I'm an underdog better, but in this week where we've got all these big matchups with the way the season's going, I kind of feel like we're not going to have a lot of really close games. Uh, the Texas game in particular, again, I agree. I think that Texas is good enough to cover the 11, but I feel like Vegas kind of knows something here. When they, when they make it 11, and not nine and a half or ten, that tells me something. That tells yeah. me that they are basically just begging you to take Texas. And so I would probably take Oklahoma there if I had to bet the game. So- yeah, you know, I tried that a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I'm going to take all the big favorites. And I basically took I took Clemson the week that they barely beat North Carolina. But I won on uh, Oklahoma and I won on Michigan, but then I lost on Alabama who didn't cover over Ole Miss. So right. uh, it's an interesting way to to go because I, I do think it is a little bit top-heavy and I kind of feel like betting the favorites is not the – even the heavy favorites is not the worst way to go. But it's difficult for a reason. 
And, you know, and again, it, it comes down to the number. They're so good on so many of these games, like Clemson being 27 and not 28 and a half. I think you can learn something by looking at that. I really do. We'll see how it plays out. There's two other games that jumped out to me as just being fishy lines, and you were on one of them, the Oregon spread. It feels like way too many points. I mean, when I saw that, I would if you had asked me to guess the line before it came out, I would have probably guessed Oregon was, what, maybe a 12, 13-point 12, favorite? Yeah, uh, somewhere, somewhere right half, around, or, or maybe even like a 14-and-a-half. Like, you yeah. know, do you want to bet them by the two touchdowns or not? So I would I would take Oregon there ju- just for that reason. I would take Oregon. And the other one, the smelliest line of the week, is the Miami Hurricanes favored by only one-and-a-half hosting UVA. I mean, I would have thought UVA would have been about a six, seven, eight point favorite. I mean, Virginia Tech just went down there and beat up on Miami. Virginia has been a much better team than Virginia Tech so far. I don't understand that line. So I, I just I, that that to me is the smelliest line of the weekend. Yeah, that uh, I, I didn't know what to do with that one. I thought it was stinky, but I didn't know which which in which way. Me either. Uh, so. I know that Virginia does not have a very good history on the road in Miami, so maybe that yeah. has something to do with it. But this, you know, I don't know how much you can go on that. Um, all right, NFL. I don't have much in the way of the NFL. I just know we've got a lot of really good matchups, but what do you have on the NFL side? Um, I think I like the Thursday night game, and I like New England laying <clears throat> the 16-and-a-half. The Giants aren't, aren't going to have Saquon Barkley they're not going to have Sterling Shepard, and they're not going to have their tight end, Evan Ingram. I, I don't honestly know where the points are going to come from. And uh, Tom Brady had a great game last week. I think these short weeks benefit a team like New England. Um, and they benefit the home team. And, exactly. And so um, I, just, I just think everything points to, uh, you know, rookie quarterback, the way that New England's defense has been playing, as we, as we had, had mentioned previously, uh, th- there's just plenty of reasons to like them here. Uh, I, I kind of want to roll with them. Then every these these next four all I thought were very fishy lines. The first one, Cleveland was initially opened as a two and a half point favorite over the Seahawks. The game's in Cleveland, but based on what we saw <clears throat> from Cleveland on Monday night, the fact it's a short week and the way that Russell Wilson and the Seahawks have been playing. I can't understand for a minute why Cleveland would have been favored in that game. And Seattle's now minus one. Now Seattle's minus one. I still like Seattle, but maybe I shouldn't. I, yeah, that's I, a, I feel that's like I'm being trapped in. One. I feel like I'm being trapped into it, but I still like the Seahawks. Gun. I, I can't come up with a reason to bet the bet the Browns there. Um, the Kansas City line, they're only favored by five over Houston. I think Houston has a lot of flaws. Their defense that is not. That opened at eight uh, and a half. And, and I know I'm guessing this has something to do with Mahomes being banged up and that ankle that got stepped on. Yeah, they're um, banged up. They, I think this past Sunday they were without two O-linemen and three D-linemen. So I, I think that's certainly a big part of this. But yeah. After losing uh, and and not really showing any of that firepower, I think they play a defense that isn't as good this week. And even if they are banged up, I think that they just find a way to get that on track. Uh, and they win that by a touchdown. The one that I really don't understand is uh, Minnesota, a three-point favorite over Philly. 
Isn't Philly the better team? I don't know. I kind of think of them as being pretty close to one another. Are they right equals? Now. I mean, I don't trust. I Kirk think that's Cousins just a. Th- I think that's a pick 'em game, and you give the the home team. I mean, the home team. Okay. Yeah. Well, I like I like the Eagles getting points. I think they're the better team. I think they have the better quarterback. I think they have the better coach. Um, so for that reason, I would like him at a pick 'em. I really like him when they're getting three. Okay. Um, and then and then the other one is is the Saints. I know that I they've been rolling. And I, maybe Teddy Bridgewater is is due for a hiccup. I've I've won a couple on the Jags this year, but um, I I just that's a game that I feel like the Saints should be favored, and they're not. So I'll take the point. Okay, yeah, you know I don't really like I said I don't really have any picks. I've been trying not to really look at NFL lines much until Sunday morning. And I'll get on Twitter and I'll see who's playing and who's not. And then the other thing I like to see is who are the most publicly bet teams and just go against them. So um, I hit that with the Raiders last week. I was 2-2-1 two, two, and one doing that last week. Uh, you know, I mean, I basically bet the worst teams in the NFL last week because that's who the public is going against. And I took all of them and I came out 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. So who do you like in the uh, Redskins-Miami this week? Man, see, that's an interesting game. <laughs> it really is. I mean, who's going to even try to win that one? That That's a weird one. I guess what I see... I won't touch that one. I, I kind of have a, a don't-bet-on-bad-teams don't rule. Yeah. We haven't talked about the Redskins and, and your boy Dan Gosh. Snyder firing my boy Jay Gruden at 5 a.m., <laughs> I mean, I mean, what can you say at this point? What an absolutely unmitigated fucking shit show that is. That's, yeah, it's, if, you, if you haven't seen it, Scott Van Pelt that. had a great takedown on his one big thing. thing. That that that's worth that's worth your time for no, the thing. No, I watched it. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I, I'm just saying for our listeners, yeah, go the, go his find one it. Big it was thing good. last night. Yeah. Very good. You know, I've got a lot of good friends who are Redskins fans. You know, I don't know if you know this. I think you do. I grew up a Redskins fan. They they were my favorite team when I was a kid. And when I went to the new FedEx field for the first time under Dan Snyder's ownership, uh, it was such a horrible experience. Uh, I'd already heard what, a, what an a-hole Dan Snyder was. And I decided right then and there that I was done being a Redskins fan. And I've never looked back. And it was such a great decision. I'm so happy about it. I honestly love not having a favorite team in the NFL and just sort of watching good games and being into the betting aspect and just enjoying it, not really rooting for anybody. Uh, but what a great decision that was that I made, huh? <laughs> uh, to get it to distance yourself, yeah, I think it was. Just just dropped them cold turkey. Never good looked back. It coincided right around the time when I was going to college, so I was moving away. You know, my dad and I would go to a game a year, every year growing up, going to the old rfk stadium it was awesome uh but the new stadium was a disaster from day one it's still horrific it's worse now than it's ever been obviously and you know snyder talk about guys that need to sell the team he, he needs to sell the team that 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 would be the i think the one and only no solution. he needs to but he won't there are a lot of owners who need to and won't yeah um but as, as for the nfl i just am excited i think there's a lot of good games i mean you go down the list the thursday night game isn't as good as it would have been i was hoping for some of these giants to be a little healthier but i, I haven't really sat down and watched the pats yet i'm looking forward to doing that on thursday uh, but then on sunday i think carolina tampa is a good game 
Uh, Seattle-Cleveland's a good game. Houston-KC's a good game. Saints-Jags is a good game. Eagles-Vikings is a good game. Uh, Niners-Rams is a great game. Um, and that's about it. Until you get to Monday night, the Sunday night game sucks. I mean, you've got all these good games, but then you got Steelers-Chargers. Very disappointing. But the Monday night game should be good. Detroit at Green Bay. So, I mean, that's like eight good games of the 12 or whatever it is. So, I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. Should be a great, great weekend of NFL football. No, most of them have been good so far, and as you alluded to in uh, your interesting of the week with the the parity across the league, uh, it's it's good every week, and it's and it, and it's it appears it's going to remain that way. It does. Um, all right, we've gone on forever. We're an hour and a half deep. You want to do the wild card? Or you want to skip the wild card? And, and I don't have one. I don't have one for this week. At least I, I was racking my brain throughout, and there there wasn't one that jumped out. So I think at, the, at this mark, we we might as well call it. Let's call it. I actually you have, have one. one but it's more of an evergreen. We can do it at any time. Perfect. We'll save it. All right, cool. Well, thanks, everybody, for hanging in there and listening. We appreciate the listeners. We love you guys. So keep listening. Tell your friends about it. And probably most importantly, no, most importantly, here's the most important thing. Braves win tomorrow. The second <laughs> most important thing is good night, everybody. Sleep tight. Good night, y'all. <laughs>